0: Okay guys, are you ready? We're coming to Jesus this morning. Are you already there? You should be. The worship was incredible. I it doesn't take long to enter in when you are ushered into the presence of God through worship. And so I'm so thankful to be in a body of believers who crave and love and yearn for true worship. Worship is not just singing words. It's entering into the heart of God through the music. And we were able to do that this morning. And I just am so appreciative. This morning, I wanna talk to you about coming to Jesus by the Spirit. And when Pastor Paul mentioned the thing, the Lord immediately took me to the story of Nicodemus. So that's what we're gonna look at this morning Uh, who was this man called Nicodemus? His name actually means victory of the people. So he is a Pharisee. Now, how many of you know what the Pharisees, who they were? A lot of you do, some of you don't. Okay, to become a Pharisee meant you had to be born into the right family. You had to know the Jewish culture. You had to have studied. Nicodemus was not only a Pharisee, but he was a teacher. So this guy knew a lot of things, kind of like someone I'm married to knows a lot of things. He knew the law. He understood the culture. He also understood the times and the times in which Jesus was born was a time of great expectancy. How many of you remember the 80s? I think it was the 80s. The 80s when we thought Jesus was coming back. I don't know that you and I thought that. But, you know, man, we were living with great expectancy. Jesus is going to return. You better get your life right. I just want to be ready. Remember all of that? It was actually a good time because we were yearning for something well the people were yearning in the Jewish culture in this day they had great expectancy they were expecting the messiah to show up so they were ready nicodemus was one of them he was ready well there were a few downsides to the to the pharisees the pharisees we would call them legalistic. We would call them set in their ways. We would call them unbending and uncaring. They were, they were rigid to the law. You better follow the thing right or you're out of here. So this is the kind of group that Nicodemus was a part of, but there must be something going on in him because he comes to Jesus. Now notice he comes to Jesus at night What's interesting in this is it says that he was a man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews. Now, if you were a ruler of the Jews, then you would expect that Jesus would come to you. If he really was something, he would come to you because you had the standing. He did not. I mean, wasn't he just a carpenter? So it's interesting. There must have been something going on with this man. Was he going as a ruler to just vet Jesus and see what he was all about? We don't know. Or was he actually going because he was curious, he was yearning, he was open. But this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God. Now, remember, he's not of the ruling class, but there's something about this guy that Nicodemus is drawn to. And he says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So there's something stirring in this man. I have fallen in love with Nicodemus. Now, the way I grew up, we didn't like the Pharisees very much. They were not nice people. Actually, I mean, weren't they partially responsible for crucifying Jesus? I mean, you know, they didn't have a very good reputation. But I believe that Nicodemus, now, I know I am just supposing, but I am thinking that maybe he was a little bit different. But why did his heart get open it was open because of the signs that Jesus had been doing all right what were those signs those signs if you look back in the second chapter of John the first sign that Jesus did was the changing the water to wine that was pretty big sign right there I don't know very many people that can do that So Jesus does that. They're probably pretty amazed at him. And then if you go on down to the end of the chapter, he cleanses the temple. Now that's a whole different kind of sign. And they're wanting to know, by what authority do you have to do this? And Jesus tells them, He says, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days, I will raise it up. Well, if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that that statement right there got Jesus in a lot of trouble. But this man doesn't seem to be coming with that kind of attitude. He seems to be coming with a heart that's open, that wants to know Well, Jesus, rather than saying, yeah, sure, I'm from God. Don't you know? Can't you tell? You got it, buddy. You're on the right track. He says, no, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, we're very familiar with that term, born again. I grew up with that term, born again. It was not a problem for me, I wanted to be born again. I also was born into the right family at the right time in my culture. I'm from the South. Most everyone in my little town went to some church or another. So I was born into a family that raised us in faith in Jesus. I was taught from a very young age that you needed to accept Jesus into your heart or you're gonna to go to hell. Well, that was no problem for me. I was happy to do that because actually I had a heart for God. I loved him with every part of my being. As simple as I could understand, I wanted the Lord. I wanted him, I craved him, I followed him. I wanted to know him. And so as a child, I was no problem. I, yes, I want Jesus in my heart. I want him to be my savior. And that was what I understood when I was 10 years old. I cannot remember a day in my life when I didn't know the Lord. But Nicodemus, he's faced with a quandary. Unless you're born again, you cannot come into the kingdom. Well, let's look at what was going on in that time? We're, we're now looking at a passage in Luke. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Nicodemus was in the revival party. They were praying for a restoration of their nation. Remember, their nation has been taken over by Rome. They have no, they have authority within their Jewish culture, but they're being oppressed by another nation and they are yearning for a revival. They want the Messiah to come and get them out of this mess. So there was no problem They're all yearning to be a part. They're following whoever seems to have authority, whoever seems to have a voice. So, but remember, the Pharisees as a whole would come against Jesus because you can't get this stuff just anywhere. It was very different for them. It was not in their culture. I'm moving the slides by accident. So Nicodemus comes asking, Jesus has said, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. Now for me, I always understood that verse right there. You can't be in the kingdom unless you're born again. That was my understanding. But even as I studied this week, there was a shift in my perspective you cannot see the kingdom unless you 're born again. What does that mean? You cannot perceive the kingdom. you 're not going to recognize the kingdom unless you 're born again. So what does it mean to be born again? Jesus comes asking uh, Nicodemus comes asking Jesus. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Now, remember that Nicodemus was a man of great learning. He would have studied the Old Testament. He would have known that by heart. He would have understood. He would have heard the echoes as Jesus is calling to him about the Spirit, but at this point, I don't think he fully understood what that meant. But there are echoes in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel, God has them breathe into the dry bones and they become, they become life again. Life is breathed into them. But if we go back even to John 1, hold on a second, let me get there. Go back to the first chapter of John down to where the baptism of Jesus. Hold on, sorry. John bore witness. He said, I, I myself, this is John the Baptist, did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water Baptizing in the Holy Spirit is something completely different. I was baptized at 10. I had my water baptism. I told you I had a yearning for God all my life. But I had such a limited understanding of what that really meant. So as I got a little bit older, 16, I'm dating this guy, or you know, off and on. He was kind of not a really stable person. So I think we were, we were on again, off again. We're off again at this point, but Alan goes to our little hometown college, our private Baptist college called Mississippi college to play football. And the first week of football practice he has an encounter. The story is too long and it's fairly embarrassing for me. So I won't go into how I played a part, but let me just say I'm responsible, okay? (laughs) I hurt Alan's feelings very badly. He ends up on the football field by himself crying out because God had been calling him. He was a teenage alcoholic. He would drive around our little town saying, I can't find you, where are you? See, he had a heart for God too. He just didn't have anybody to give him the answers. So he's on a football field all by himself and the Lord speaks to him. And he gets radically converted in that one moment. It's amazing. He comes to my house because my mother had had such an influence on him. And she says, well, you you should tell Gail. So he... We go for a walk, he tells me, I do not understand at all what is going on because I'm living in my little rigid world. But what happened was, then I entered into a season of saying, you don't think I'm a Christian, do you? Because his life was so radically different from mine. It made me question where I was with the Lord and Alan of course was I'm not, I'm not trying to say that to you at all but that's how I received it but what it did was it made me press in for more God what is it that I'm missing well then I was taught well not only do you need to have Jesus as your Savior but you need him as your Lord oh well that's no problem I'll do that too It was a shift in my perspective that I understood, okay, every part of me belongs to the Lord and he gets to control my life in everything I do. So I made that step as as a young person and we followed that path for such a long time and it was a good path, guys. It was a good path. We loved the Lord, we served the Lord, we worshiped him in every way we knew how. But then, in the late 90s, Alan began to have experiences in the Holy Spirit that I was so uncomfortable with. It, for one, it threatened my security and I was pretty mad about that. Like, hmm, I hate you, go somewhere else. And for the first time in our relationship, I thought, Lord, I can't go where he's going. And you know what it was? Look, I know we had the Holy Spirit, but it was walking in the Spirit, flowing in the Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to envelop us and overcome us and flow out of us. It was a shift and a difference that I would not change for anything, but the season of transition in that was not easy for me. And do you know what it took for me to be comfortable? Well, let me say to be open. It took me a long time to be comfortable. So if you come in here and you come from a different background and all the ways that we do things are different, I understand you so well. I was the one running out of the building because screaming like, what have you gotten me into? I hate you. That was me. But here's what it took just like Nicodemus, it took a sign. I needed a sign. So when Alan comes home and he tells me that he has had these experiences and I tell him, I hate you. And he says, I promise if it does me no good, I'll stop. Now we haven't started this church yet. We're in a different denomination that wasn't real keen on this idea either. Alan thought, well, (laughs) if my wife reacted that way, well, I can imagine how everybody else is going to react. So maybe I'll just keep this to myself. A year goes by. Alan is continuing in his private life to press into this new thing that was bringing him so much comfort, healing, Uh, Breakthrough, deliverance. It was amazing for him. And all I'm doing is I'm going about my business, but I'm watching. I'm watching. I'm watching. And I'm telling you, you talk about the patience, the patience of Alan Hawkins to wait for the Lord to work in my life so that we could be on the same page. Instead of rushing ahead of me and creating so much destruction in our family, I'm so grateful that he has walked in wisdom all these years. A year goes by and he becomes my sign. And I finally say, you know, I don't know what has happened to you, but you're not the same person that you were. I'm still very afraid of what's happening, but will you explain to me what's going on? And he used to talk to me about when I'm, you got to be really old to under, remember defragging computers, you know, when the screen would do, he would say, it feels like I'm being defragged on the inside. It's like God was knitting him back together, but it was the sign that I needed that would open my heart to say, okay, I, I, I do want to know. I do want to receive. Whatever's happened to you, I want it. And it still took quite a while. It wasn't, look, I think life is like this. We get miraculous breakthrough moments, and then we walk out a process. We get miraculous breakthrough moments, and then we walk out a process. Your family cannot do it for you. They can lead you to it, but they can't give it to you. Nicodemus was in the right family and he is being shaken to his very core by this man who seems to have authority from someone other than anything on this earth. And he's open, but you know, Jesus is basically telling him, it doesn't matter what family you're in. It matters what family you become. He's opening the door. The the truth is, the time that they're in, the nation of Israel is about to fulfill their calling. And then everything is going to change. But Nicodemus doesn't know that. Here's what I think. I think that Jesus is going after his heart. The next slide says, Jesus, Nicodemus comes seeking. Nicodemus, you know, if he was a rigid, hateful Pharisee, he would have been cursing Jesus in that moment. That's not what he's doing. He's entering in, asking more questions. That's what had to happen in my life. Instead of being afraid and shutting everything off, I had to open my heart and begin to ask questions. So Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? All right. Here's the quandary for us today. We are living in an earthly realm. We're bringing the heavenly realm to the earthly realm. How can you understand the heavenly realm without the Spirit of God? This is what he's trying to bring Nicodemus into. The truth is, we know the rest of the story. We know that Nicodemus does become a disciple. In chapter 7 of John, he takes his authority and goes before the Sanhedrin and he makes an appeal to to do the right thing on behalf of Jesus. And then late in the chapter, late in the book, we, we learn that Nicodemus was actually asking for the body of Jesus after he's dead preparing his body. I was thinking about, I'm telling you, it's agony for me to preach because the Lord keeps me up all night. And I'm okay with that, but there's a cost. I'm imagining Nicodemus and Joseph taking the body of Jesus and preparing him for burial. What grief they must have had because yet their eyes were not completely open. But they're in a process. They're getting there. Right, Kitty? We're getting there. It doesn't often happen overnight. Sometimes it's a process. And you've got to be okay with the process. But you can't stop pressing in for what God has for you. Because I'm telling you, we're coming to Jesus with fresh eyes, fresh understanding, fresh Holy Spirit. I don't want you putting up the other slides, but I'll just tell you, he goes on to tell Nicodemus that no one has ascended into heaven except for he who has descended, the son of man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. He is telling, he's giving Nicodemus insight into the rest of the story of their destiny as a nation. Jesus did not do that very often. Most of the time, from my reading, he speaks in riddles. He speaks in parables. And you're like, huh, what? Huh, what? But in this case, Nicodemus would know what he's talking about because he knew the scripture. Your perspective changes when you are filled with his spirit then he, then we have the most famous verse i think in all of scripture john 3:16 most children learn this is one of the first verses they ever learn for god so what loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Another shift for me as I became an adult was, wait a minute, are you telling me that God's not up there angry and ready to just whack me over the head? Because that's how I envisioned him. I envisioned him as a Pharisee that I had to do everything just right or he was not going to be pleased with me. And I had it all wrong. Because really, he loves me. He wants to draw me to himself. He wants to fill me with his presence, which changes me and enables me to then serve him. Got it? It is an upside down kingdom. We do not serve him to please him. We receive him and it's from that place that then we Graciously, happily, joyfully serve Him. I just love the gospel. I love the simplicity of Jesus. I love. Some days I think <laughs> I'll get a, a fresh revelation of something. Some days I, I think you're probably like me. I think I know a lot. Hey, I've been around for a long time. I'm old. I've been sitting in church under an amazing teacher for many, many years. I think I know a lot. And then something will happen, and I get this revelation, and I think, I don't know anything. (laughs) I don't know anything. But I do know you. That's all I do know. So I want to end with telling you this story. (laughs) People have asked me, what are you going to do when you're retired? Well, I don't know. I'm going to still follow after the madman. But other than that, I really don't know what I'm going to do. Well, what hobbies do you have? None. (laughs) I don't have hobbies. So I'm challenging myself to, you know, I'm not much of a reader. Alan is a voracious reader. We have all these thousands of volumes of books and they just sit on the shelf and look really pretty and gather dust if you ask me. But I thought, okay, I'm gonna try this reading thing. Because I, I, I mean, it's not that I don't like to read. It's just hard for me to sit down and take the time. So a friend of mine gave me a little book. And I thought, hmm. And she said, you're really gonna enjoy this little book. It, it's a novel, not, you know, fiction. But but she said, it's, I think you're gonna like it because, um. well, just read it. So I picked up this little volume and then I found out it's a series of like 14 books. So I'm, now I'm into it. I think I'm in book six or seven. But it, it's a book, these little sweet little books, they're easy to read, easy to put down and make me go to sleep. Um, but it revolves around the life of a minister. Well, surprise to me, because I didn't know when I picked up the first one, that in the book, guess what? The minister's retiring it's amazing how much it and, and and I'm watching Father Tim go through a lot of what we've been through the grief of letting go and you know all of that kind of stuff but un, unlike us, Father Tim has taken an interim already I mean like dude really but he's got an interim and he's he and his wife have gone to the coast they're they're um, on a little island and they're ministering to a different congregation it's really very sweet but in this story that I'm reading, and I happen to be reading it this part last night, there is, uh, he's moved in, they have moved in to a little cottage next door to this amazing estate with these big walls, but it is a mess in there. There's, it's, everything's overgrown and people will say, oh, have you met your neighbor? No, and little by little, he is encountering his neighbor, the encounters that he has are not very good. He his, And it's all, it's all his dog's fault, Barnabas, what a mess. So he loves this dog, but the dog gets away from him, chasing a squirrel. He goes into this man's property. And I mean, what choice does Father Tim have? He's got to go in there and get his dog. And so he's in there trying to, and oh, he is so mad at this dog. And all he can hear is, out, out. And of course that just, unnerves him. So he finds his dog. <laughs> the predicaments he gets in is quite comical. Little by little. And I mean, he is so offended by this neighbor. But the amazing thing is the neighbor plays the or- has an organ because his family had a-, had a lot of wealth. He plays the organ and they can hear these classical uh, Christian pieces. It's incredible. But he is so offended and afraid. And what. Like, what is going on in there? But everyone has told him, stay out and leave that guy alone. Well, last night in my book reading, Barnabas did it again. He's gone in. Now, little by little, he's kind of beginning to make some inroads into this guy's life. And you know what? It took time. But the first thing that happened was Father Tim said, oh, I guess I should be praying for him, huh? Shift in perspective. How many times have we been offended, and we don 't want to pray for those people because they have treated us unkindly well he He goes in and he takes him banana bread as as an offering I, this guy 's still not being all that gracious to him, but he's he 's getting the walls down. He gets invited in to see the grand organ. He's finally going to meet this man. So he goes in, and do you know what he learns? He learns that this man has a disability that causes him to make those sounds and to say those words. It's not volitional. Now, I'm going to have to come back and tell you the rest of the story because that's where I went to sleep last night at least tried to. The point is not, (laughs) the point is, look, we have got to come to Jesus through the Holy Spirit or we are going to have the wrong perspective. And right now, what we're dealing with in our country and in our world, there is so much opportunity for offense and anger and division, and you know, I'm gonna be honest with you, I want to be mad. I don't like it. However, then Holy Spirit begins to speak, and He brings fresh perspective to say, Nope, I said to them last night, I don't wanna miss the mark. If we have been baptized into Jesus and we're marked by his spirit, then we should be different. We should be representing Jesus, pushing past the anger and all of the outward appearances that that we're presented with, right? Right? So why don't you stand? I don't know about you, but I am in a fresh season of hunger for the Lord to do something fresh and new in my life. Look, we have no idea what God has for us, but what we do know is that he's sending us out from New Life City. He is He's calling us to Represent Jesus, to represent the kingdom, but also to represent New Life City. So, as hard as it is, everywhere we go, we carry you guys. You may think that we've made you who you are, but you have made us who we are. You cannot get this stuff just anywhere. So, Father, we just invite you to come. Speak to us clearly, Lord. What do you have for us in this season? I don't know what you need, but you do, and the Lord does. So if he is speaking to you, whether it's something that you have a need in your own life, Or if it's a need in someone else's life. The altar is always open. I remember being in another denomination where we never prayed. We only received new people. And I would cry out, God, I just wish somebody would pray for me. That's what we do here. Every time we meet, we say, come, come.